Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes. Welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. However you got our show today, thank you for listening. And remember, there are tons of ways that you can get our show. Maybe you want to spread the word or maybe you want to listen a different way next week. But do remember that you can download directly from our website at any time on techcentral.ie. That's our website. You can use a smartphone podcast app so you get in the podcast automatically every week. Or you can use iTunes. I believe it's quite popular. And of course, you can turn us on every week on this thing called the radio on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. On this week's show, um, who is out selling MacBooks? Um, Google in Paris, not a very pleasant place to be this week. And uh, Connected Futures, I think, is where we're going to start with our Tech Central editor, Niall Kitson. Niall, uh, Connected Futures is one of the first reports out from the brand new government, and it concerns broadband and all things internet, yes? Yeah, well, Connected Futures is actually, it's a report that was put together by Vodafone, uh, who we know have an interest in rolling out rural broadband to everyone in Ireland through its uh, joint um, uh, endeavour with the ESB called CSIRO. And uh, what, what was really interesting to me about this report is that uh, it really outlined the scale of the digital divide between us in the city and then rural communities. Because yourself and myself, we're used to actually having a broadband market and people sort of looking to curry our favour, be it, you know, the likes of Virgin or Aircom or in, indeed Vodafone and then the mobile operators. And we're, we just kind of assume that because we have access to, you know, triple digit uh, broadband that it's kind of arriving everywhere else around the country, but that's absolutely not the case. Um, Connected Futures threw up some very interesting statistics. Some of them were a, a little bit fluffy, but um, uh, here's a good one, for example. Out of the um, sort of uh, apparently there are 3 million people living outside the major population centres in Ireland. So that's, you know, 3 million people you would classify as living in a rural area. 1.8 million are broadband users. So that means that there's a catchment of 1.2 million people in Ireland that aren't being serviced by broadband at the moment. Now, that's, you know, a combination of people that don't want it for whatever reason, but also people that want it but can't get it. Isn't that a staggering figure for an Ireland nation like this, for an island country? It is a staggering figure, and it's shocking to think that there's over a million people who are still using modems to connect to the internet because they don't have uh, broadband. Uh, One of the things that I had heard was that uh, they are hoping to use 4G to uh, speed the rollout uh, in these rural areas. Well, this is what happened with the uh, first national broadband plan, which you might remember years ago. Uh, what happened was a 3-1 a tender, and it was basically distributing uh, mobile dongles. Um, you remember they used 3G uh, with the little disposable modems. Uh, and uh, obviously that went splendidly well, seeing as we're now in this current predicament. So uh, going for mobile technology, uh, I think it's a nice addendum. I mean, the, the plan years ago was that you would be able to get something, right? Whether it's through a cable into your room, whether it's through 4G, whether it's through satellite broadband, which some people still use despite it being fiendishly expensive. So you will be able to get something. So the two competing technologies really are going to be fibre to the home, 
which is uh, what Syro are doing and Aircom are doing as well, uh, or 4G, which we're meant to be getting, you know, national coverage of anyway, because there there is this natural competition between the main mobile providers to provide it. Um, I'm sure satellite will find its niche in there for very remote areas still. But again, uh, it won't be particularly cost effective. So the plan is for everybody in Ireland to have access to 30 megabits per second connectivity by 2020. Now, uh, I gather, if memory serves, that is actually more ambitious than the EU's own targets. But I mean, that's that's no bad thing. I mean, we're, as I said, we're we're a small nation. We're not really reliant on anyone else for our infrastructure. And if we get the likes of Aircom and Syro really going head to head for it, then I think um, I think it's achievable. Yeah, we've also seen the smaller markets opening up now. Um, the likes of Magnet, the likes of Imagine Telecom. It's outside the main population centres is where the emerging markets are because there's less competition. So if you rock up to, a, say, a, a, a townland of maybe 200 houses and you say, look, we are going to be your broadband provider and that is all you need to worry about. Fine, like it doesn't make sense for somebody for there to be a competitive market in a catchment of that size. But um, it absolutely makes sense for, say, small businesses that want to uh, want to uh, pitch up in that area. I mean, some of the lifestyle statistics that came out of Connected Futures were fascinating. Like, I, And these all pertain to outside Dublin Cork Limerick, you know, 24% of internet users using Netflix. That is massive. Um, 75% prefer to raise their kids in rural Ireland, and and who wouldn't, in fairness. Um, 25% using home broadband for work. So, you know, uh, the home working element still massively um, uh, important. 63% using social, 36% using Skype, and 25% would actually move to the city if it meant they could get broadband versus if it meant staying at home in a rural community and not having it. Wow. It just goes to show that when people do get a taste of broadband, they do start using it for uh, for all these things. Because we were looking at Netflix when it first launched here and we were kind of got, you know, streaming entire movies on Netflix. Hmm. Uh, be interested to see how that works out. And of course, now look. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the way it's, the way it's progressed when you, when you put it out there. And also some of the s- statistics that are coming out about the increase in broadband, uh, usage is staggering as well. Like I, I, it was something like the usage of broadband and outside of the Dublin area has increased by 100% or something in like 18 months. So it's doubled in 18 months. And I think, you know, Vodafone and 3 and the, and the phone networks, you know, are a huge part of that with uh, rolling at the 4G. But they're straining to keep up. And I'm just wondering, have you, do you know anything about Syro? Syro is the project with the ESB. And the idea is, is that because they have power lines going into every single house in the country, that they can carry internet on top of that. Why isn't that rolling out faster? I think it's what's interesting about Syro is that it's not a, it's a product of a semi-state and a private company. So the private company isn't being financed by you know the national broadband plan or anything like that just yet. So the commercial case for hitting up absolutely everywhere in the country just isn't there yet. I mean they've done nice test cases around the country the same way that Aircom has. You know just going to select areas, say new estates where. Uh, they can get away with a, a proof of concept without destroying themselves and in, uh, in cost on the overheads. So it makes sense the way they're doing it at the moment, and they've proven that there is, uh, you know, if if you can provide gigabit broadband, 
people will take it up regardless of whether the applications are there just yet to, to make use of it. I think the interesting thing is that once you start offering people and giving people gigabit broadband and saying, there you go, it'll be like full within two years because everybody will be using it to the max. And then we'll be talking about multi-gigabit broadband. And how isn't it terrible how on the top of a mountain in Kerry, you can only get a, a six terabyte connection to the Internet? <laughs> Yeah, well, BT uh, actually tested a, a terabit connection between Dublin and London just this week. So, you know, we're we're not going to be using a terabit broadband anytime soon. But, ah, but to know, yes, indeed. To, let me let me make a note of that and read that back to you in twelve months' time. Yeah, probably, yes. We're all using virtual reality. Yeah. Our it is shocking, though. I think you know uh, uh, to see that in this country, and because you know, a lot of people say, "Oh, rural internet," and you know, it's a disaster, and it's almost as up there. With, with, with homelessness and stuff like that. I mean, they're making a big deal about, uh, out of it. But when you think about the fact that Dublin has some of the fastest internet speeds in the world, in the world, in Dublin, and then 100 miles away, chunk. Yeah, well, apparently, again, this is according to the report, 20% of the population has no internet, sorry, has no broadband access at all. Insane. 20%. Absolutely. Well, at least Absolutely there's a report crazy. coming out and uh, I know that the Department of Communications are working on a plan uh, to improve that and um, probably quite sensibly are not putting a time scale on it, but uh, at least they're they're talking about it anyway. Listen, on to uh, other news this week. Um, I was quite interested to hear about MacBooks being outsold. I didn't think it was that difficult when you consider MacBook start at 900 or grand. Uh, they are a fabulous bit of kit, um, but they are being very, very much outsold by what, Niall? Yeah, Chromebooks in the States, at least, uh, according to figures for the first quarter of 2016 from IDC, which is an, an analyst firm. They they do uh, an awful lot of market research. It's kind of what they do. Um, in America, in the first quarter of 2016, uh, there were 1.6 million Chromebooks shipped. Okay, so they're not necessarily sold, but shipped versus 1.17 Mac notebooks. So that's across the whole spectrum from, you know, the MacBook through to the the MacBook Air all the way up to the the MacBook Pro. So uh, it's it's a fascinating statistic in a couple of ways because. Uh, for all you might say about, you know, the cost of a MacBook in any of its forms, I mean, in Ireland, you're looking at a, a grand start, whereas in uh, when it comes to the Chromebook, I mean, part of the point is that they can be as cheap and as cheerful as you like, um, because they, there's nothing, technically speaking, there, there's nothing closed source sitting on it, and it's only useful if it's connected to a network. So you're pretty bog standard Chromebook will start at around 290 euro. You can pick up something from Asus or maybe a Dell or maybe a Samsung, Samsung roughly for that. So still, still a good brand. Uh, and it goes all the way up to the Chromebook Pixel, which I guess is the net plus ultra of Chromebooks at the moment. And then you're looking at a slightly more um, eye-watering 1400 euro. Uh, but again, you're getting an awful lot of bells and whistles on that. I just think that, you know, people will buy a MacBook because they've bought into the whole Apple ecosystem. And personally for me, looking at the state of Apple's computer offerings at the moment, uh, I think they're falling perhaps too far behind the curve in terms of spec and in terms of price to be considered really competitive at the moment. Um, they don't have the muscle to carry virtual reality, which is going to be the red line technology in a few years' time. And I think 
nice enough as they are to look at, I don't think their design justifies their premium pricing over similar things from the likes of HP who are making thinner laptops for less. Well, I um, I have experience of both uh, and I've owned both. I had a Toshiba Chromebook, a more recent one there from that, that I had in January, February. And I have the MacBook Air as well. I have a MacBook Pro. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny because I have to say, I disagree with you. I think Apple products are extremely well made. I mean, extremely well made and they are a premium product. I agree with you. They're not worth what they charge for it. But you definitely are getting a really, really well built machine. So I do like that about them. Uh, the MacBook, I thought was uh, the MacBook Air, I should say, I thought was interesting because it's not really that powerful a machine. And I always say to people, I like it because I can slide it into my uh, 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 bag when I'm nipping around town. Uh, and it's nice and light and it's thin. And if I have time for a coffee, I can get a little bit of work done. Um, but it's mainly confined to if I'm doing emails or something on a Microsoft Word program or whatever. But if I'm getting into photo editing, well, beyond basic photo editing, you know, it starts to struggle a little bit. If I'm trying to run two or three programs at the same time, like believe it or not, if I'm running Skype and Word and something else it starts to freeze and I'm kind of looking at this going excuse me I paid over a thousand euro for this I know it looks lovely and I know it's well built but for god's sake three programs <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> multitasking um, whereas the uh, the other end of the scale the, the Chromebook uh, I paid well, I think it was about 250 quid for it alright mm-hmm. and it didn't f- it was kind of the same size but it just didn't feel as solid or as yeah. quality and the trackpad and the, and the buttons for the mouse and everything were all kind of very rickety feeling. Um, but do you know what? For 750 quid cheaper, I, you know, I'm, I'll go with it. Uh, the only thing that I found with the, uh, uh, the Chromebook is that you absolutely, well, not absolutely, but you pretty much have to be connected to the internet, uh, or otherwise, uh, it's, uh, it's a bit of a joke. And what I didn't like about that is you can't get internet any everywhere, particularly as we've just been talking about, if you're outside of yep. Dublin, or if you're traveling uh, and you do a lot of flying, um, you're going to be sitting there in a Chromebook going, what am I going to do here? Yeah. Yep. So, what, um, what, what do I do between now and landing? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yes, uh, that the, the I, I, I'm actually going to stand up for Apple and say that they do make excellent, excellent product. It's overpriced, but it is excellent product. Yeah, I, I just think that, um, I mean, when Palmer Lucky from Oculus came out and he said, yes, we'll, we'll support Apple products as soon as they make one that can actually handle our product. I thought that was a particularly telling comment and one that, you know, I, I was in the market for, um, a new Mac, like my, one at home I had for seven years before it finally packed in. And I thought, right, okay, I'll, I'll go like for like. But then when I looked at the price, of what I wanted, which was nudging €3,000. And then to hear that the emerging technology that I know I will want to be using in, we'll say, 12 to 18 months mm. won't work on it. Yo, that is that is absolutely ridiculous. So until Apple gets their act together on that, I won't be spending big money on a, a new Mac. All right. Uh, elsewhere in the news, let's go to France, which is a, a lovely peaceful country with lots of nice uh, uh, lovely people in it uh, most of the time but at the moment uh, they are in the grips of serious um, uh, 
industrial unrest. That's the word I'm looking for. That's, it's so un-French. Um, industrial yeah, unrest. But, yes, which is industrial unrest, okay? But they are cranking it up to levels that have never been seen before in the country in the run-up to the World Cup. And this week, of course, the news is all about how they've been uh, blocking the ports and fuel supplies for the country. And 30 to 40% of petrol stations in France are now closed because they've no fuel. I didn't know that. Well, that's uh, quite ridiculous. And then, you know, you've got uh, the air traffic controllers. Everybody is going on strike at the same time. And they're using the World Cup as a bit of a fulcrum for it to get the government to do something. Um, it's the Euros, I, Dusty. The Euros. Well, mm, follow uh, your follow your sport. Oh, whatever it is. I did, me, sport equals zero. Okay. Um, anyways, aside from that. There are other things going on in France this week, uh, particularly at the Google office. What's been going on there this week? Yeah, well, the um, French investigators, uh, the state financial prosecutor in particular, they've taken a renewed interest in Google. Now, Google hasn't been getting along with the French authorities since 2011. Um, and just last year in 2015, um, another full-scale investigation was launched um, and the prosecutor was looking into uh, whether there was a case for prosecuting Google for aggravated financial fraud and organised money laundering. Fairly, fairly substantial charges. And uh, so, you know, we're a year into the investigation and it resulted in a, a raid on Google's Paris office last Tuesday. It was basically 100 investigators, five magistrates, 5 a.m. through the doors, give us what we want. Uh, and they sort of left with a whole load of um, uh, files and documents and whatnot. And they're going to have a look and see if there is actually a, a case where Google can be can be said to have not been not paying their taxes, basically. Uh, there is an official statement, and I'm going to read it out here, uh, and you'll have to apologise if I stumble because it's my terrible handwriting. So, uh, according to the state financial prosecutor, the inquiry is focused on uh, verifying whether the company, Google Ireland Limited, and I'll get into why that's um, important later, controls a permanent establishment in, in France. And if by not declaring a part of their activities conducted on French territory. It has failed in its fiscal obligations, notably regarding taxes on companies and value-added tax. So basically, Google's argument is uh, Google Europe is based in Ireland. Uh, we pay our taxes in Ireland. And we happen to have these other offices dotted around Europe. And guess what? We don't actually need to pay taxes in those countries because... It's it's part of Google Ireland. So, uh, you know, if Tech Central was to set up an office in Paris, which is one guy in a small room, that guy actually has nothing to do with, you know, our revenue or anything like that uh, in Dublin because that's where our sales force is. It's where all our all our other guys are. It's it's an incidental presence almost. Uh, uh, if you were to scale that up to the nth degree, that's roughly what Google is saying. That, well, you know, we're a business based in Dublin. We just happen to have offices elsewhere, but they have no kind of material effect on the, the overall uh, activities of the company. Now, uh, the French are saying, well, act, uh, actually, no. I mean, you, you can't have an office of 700 people um, in Paris and say that it's uh, 
contribution is is immaterial. I mean, that constitutes, you know, we will say if you have your marketing department in Paris, uh, and I'm, you know, extrapolating here, uh, you actually have Google Marketing France Limited. And that brings in its own revenue and therefore you have to pay French taxes on it. So that's that's kind of their argument. And it's an argument that has, you know, it's found water, it's found purchase in uh, England where um, Google had to pay, well, had to, I mean, they struck a very sweet deal with the English government. I think they only ended up having to pay £130 million in back taxes ever. <laughs> you know, it, it was an absolutely ridiculous deal. Um, the French are saying, you know, we could be owed maybe £1.7 in this. And the reason the French are so hot on this at the moment is because the public finances are quite precarious. And they've had a bit of an amnesty. You might remember a couple of years ago, we had a tax amnesty and uh, we had all this money come in from the Cayman Islands and whatnot and people started paying their taxes in Ireland and it was great. And there was a bit of a windfall for the exchequer. Um, the French have been doing this as well and they've been targeting everyone from sort of the, the dodgy saver overseas to multinationals. And as a, a strategy, it's brought in over 12 billion euro. So there is a lot of money at stake here. And you can be fairly sure they're not interested in offering Google, you know, a, a, a sweet little number here. I mean, they, they are they are looking for cash in law and they are you know, perfectly entitled to it as well. I think I think the bigger picture that we're looking at, uh, which is quite interesting, is the way the world is changing. Uh, kind of the Internet has made, you know, the world as in the globe more of a village literally and now we have companies you know like uh, Google and Facebook and they're all based in Ireland and when you were telling that story I was also thinking of Ryanair which is another amazing Irish success story that is working all over Europe in a very very big way and there are people who want Europe to be one economic area and then there are other people who said, well, no, you gotta, you gotta pay special taxes in this area we call France. <laughs> what way are they gonna work it out? I think it's, listen, do you know what? It's, it's all too complicated and high level finance wise for me, but I just think it's interesting to see how the world is changing and the, the internet is playing a little part in that and bringing people closer. And it's having an effect then with, you know, kind of companies who are working across several territories. And you might talk about Google now, but there is entirely, you know, kind of what little Irish businesses who are working online, you know, maybe they have an office with 10 people and they sell their stuff online. But what if they employ one or two people in France? Do they have to then set up a French company and pay French taxes and stuff like that? Because setting up a company in Ireland is, is quite nice. Uh, setting up a company in France is a nightmare. You don't even want to know what's involved in setting up a company in France. And then after you set up a company in France, you don't even want to know the obligations that you're taking on when you employ somebody. Um, my favorite story from, from France, very quickly, is they have this uh, uh, book called, I think it's, it's uh, uh, The Code de Travail, okay? The, the Working Code. And I swear to God, the book is eight inches thick. All right. It's a, it's a big, tall thing. There's so many rules over the years. And the government quite correctly said, we need to make this smaller because this is ridiculous. And they sent off somebody. You know how it works with public service. Somebody went yeah. off. There was a committee meeting. Da, da, da. Anyways, six months later, they came back with a book that was four inches thick half the size. And they went, that's amazing. How did you do it? And they went, uh, we used a smaller font. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, so that's France. Uh, we wait and see what happens. Listen, uh, speaking of things that just seem ridiculous, let's talk about the nuclear football in America. 
Uh, okay, right. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about a couple of things. I mean, did we mention this story a couple of months ago? It actually uh, was uh, reported, I think, in 2013, and then it got into the the press uh, a, a good while after. It was the the uh, nuclear launch code that was in effect from the late 1950s up to 1977. Uh, do you remember what it was? No, what was it? It was eight zeros. <laughs> we were eight zeros away from nuclear Armageddon at any given time. And do you know what? To make it even worse, that code was written down on a piece of paper in the silos in case somebody forgot it. I believe it. I believe it. Um, but I believe now that they're using computer technology to to aid these codes. Uh, what are they stored on? Computers. It's all. It's all the wave of the future. Uh, yeah. Apparently, um, this is still ongoing. An awful lot of the uh, U.S. government, and one would imagine that extends to our nuclear capability as well, is still using eight-inch floppy disks on 1970s era machines. And you know, you may mock. But I mean, there's a couple of very serious points in this. I mean, one is, you know, haha, it's comical, isn't the civil service so quick, so slow to move? Um, and you would think, yep, absolutely. Uh, also, it, it, the government over there is spending $61 billion a year in um, just to maintain old machinery. Do you know what? I'm going to be a contractor. I'm going to learn how to use old machinery. Because all that skill set is dying out and somebody's got to do it. There could be careers for us yet. You never know. You never know. Anyway, uh, I'm sure that's all going to change as soon as President Trump gets into office and uh, he'll, yeah, yeah. he'll, he'll so iron that one out. Still using eight inch disks because uh, they know it works and they know that stuff is safe. So, you know, if, if that's uh, the difference between waking up in the morning and not seeing hellfire raining down upon us, I'm okay with that. Listen, finally for this week, you have found a brand new movie service online, which you're quite excited about it. Tell me all about it. Uh, yeah, actually not brand new, but um, uh, nicely updated and upgraded. And I would recommend it uh, if you are into horror films. Uh, now, I, I subscribe to a couple of uh, streaming services at the moment because I don't do TV anymore. Um, so uh, there's uh, Netflix, of course, but uh, it's getting a little thin on the ground and they've cracked down on VPNs quite uh, quite handily lately. So uh, if you're looking to get into the US catalogue, it's gotten much harder. Uh, so, uh, and I also subscribe to Movie, which is a, uh, an art house film, uh, service, which is quite nice because it only displays, I think, 30 films at a go. So you don't get stuck scrolling forever and ever. Like it's ba- basically they add something every day and that's, that's it. Um, I also now have come across a service run by AMC who do, uh, The Walking Dead. Uh, it's called, it's shudder.com and this is a, an on-demand site devoted specifically to horror films. And, uh, again, it works off the principle of a, a small catalogue but a very good catalogue and um, it breaks down into sort of uh, thematics uh, but also they get guest curators as well so you'll find um, contemporary horror directors selecting their five or six best films uh, five or six favourite films and they would have a little blurb on them uh, and, and a little touch that sort of puts it over over the edge for me because it's it's five dollars so I guess five ninety nine a month um, to, uh, to maintain a subscription, they do an annual deal of $50, which I imagine transfers one-to-one, to, one to one, as these things usually do. Uh, however, there is a free tier, which is unusual, and I really like this idea. Um, it's basically, they have a streaming television channel, right? It's not streaming, t- like, television with anchors or anything like that. It's back-to-back movies. But uh, they're not necessarily movies from the catalogue. They're, like, back-to-back awful 
B-movies. So you can get that, you know, it's the middle of the night, I've come home and will watch absolutely anything kind of feeling. So there's no <laughs> schedule, there's no nothing. It's just you come in and you click stream and that's it. No membership required, no nothing. And I just think it's a, it's a wonderful little... I, I, we've, we've all done the thing of curling up on the sofa and we come across a horror movie at ridiculous o'clock in the morning and you're like, I'll watch this. This is exactly the sort of feeling yeah. that it engenders. So and, I, and usually it's not horror. Usually it's the funniest thing you've ever seen. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, I I, I recommend having a look at it. Right. Uh, it's got a really good catalogue if you're into horror. What's the website? Uh, Shudder dot com is it? Shudder dot com. Yes. Cool. Excellent. Listen, that is it for our show this week. Uh, unfortunately, time flies when you're having fun. Um, remember, you can get more on all of our stories and, of course, all of the Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more from techcentral.ie as well as our weekly tech radio show online and every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio One Extra. Until next week, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, Afim Niall Kitson at Tech Central HQ. Thanks for listening. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com Tech Central